You're listening to And hey everyone, welcome back to the Good Pop Culture Club. It's episode 44. My name is Marvin Yeh, and joining me to talk about all the good pop that gets us through our days, we have self-proclaimed professional Asian American just you. Welcome back, Hi Jess. everyone. I gasped because I was like, oh, 44, that's a devil's number. Double death. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, is this the last episode of the Good Pop Culture Club? <laughs> Bye guys. With the way the world is going, very possible. <sighs> I'm just so tired. Oh, Han sounds like me this this week. <laughs> I am just so freaking tired. And it's also like I was talking to my boss and she wants me to do something. I'm like, can this wait until after press tour? And like last week she said yes. And now like as of yesterday, she said no. So it's kind of like, <laughs> has oh, TCA taken your firstborn child yet? Like, have they caught dibs on it? Here's the thing. I don't even feel like I'm not even doing as badly as my coworker who she's our t- chief TV critic at Salon, but she's also the president of TCA. So she's been going through shit during this whole time because she has to field yeah. all the, like the networks as try as far as coordination and then also wrangling all the reporters, some of them who are not TCA members and who are doing bad things. And, you know, <laughs> anyway, so. that voice, of course, our fellow host, um, not self-proclaimed, actual professional culture editor, Han Wen. Hey. <laughs> huh. Well, we're at the end of February. That's two months in the can for our year 2021. Um, but with the end of the month comes our monthly news roundup segment, Do We Want This? Where we talk about some of the recent Asian American entertainment news um, and ask ourselves if we want this or not. Uh, but before we get to that, let's find out what pop culture is beginning us through the week. Uh, Jess, what's popping? I am obsessed with Nadia Bakes on Netflix. Mm -hmm. It is the new cooking show from Nadia Hussein, who was the winner of... Oh, God, the seasons are all weird because the Netflix and the British ones are all different. But I believe it was like season five or six in the British series. Don't know what it is on Netflix because I like used to stream that shit illegally. Um, (laughs) Whoopsies, maybe you shouldn't say that on air. But she's great. She is Bangladeshi, British, super charming, even from that first episode. She's really like come into her own and super vibrant. And the best part is her recipes just look good because she's like cooking like little Asian. Like she's using stuff like cardamom and spices. And she makes this like she does like a twist on the Victorian sponge cake, but it's like with mango and coconut and which are, you know, very like South Asian flavors. And I'm like, this sounds lovely. I want to make this. And she's so funny. She's like, please, from a Bangladeshi woman, like, don't like toast your coconut. Like, if you're eating untoasted coconut, that's just like hamster bedding. And I was like, <laughs> she gets it. She gets it. Uh, and it's just really warm and lovely. And she, it's like a fairly short, it's a little shorter than I want it to be, but it's all about cooking too. So it's about cooking. And she does a little segment where she features someone like another expert, like some kind of pastry or food chef expert. It's all cooking. None of this lifestyle shit. She's not teaching me how to dress a table. She's not teaching me how to make curtains. Love it. Would recommend. Good vibes. I feel like out of all of the winners of the Great British Bake Off, Nadia has been, at least from my eyes, the one that has the most public, like post-Bake Off career. Yes. This is like her second or third Netflix show, right? Yeah, she's had a bunch of series in the UK with BBC. She made like the Queen's Jubilee cake. 
I think it's a mix of like person, you know, it's a mix of personality. She is like very, just very charming and you like very lights up on camera, lights up the camera, um, as well as she just has a unique perspective because her flavors are like infused with like South Asian Bangladeshi flavors that I think inherently just makes him more interesting. We don't need like seven Victorian sponge cake recipes, right? It's fairly easy, but she's going to put her own spin on it. And then, you know, BBC taxpayer money they gotta make sure it's diverse (laughs) like legally they have to make sure it's diverse and it's just like that's a that's a trifecta and so obvious like like she's right there i appreciated her time to eat because of uh all the shortcuts because it was like she's a mom she's has tv shows she has like blah 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 and so she's like has all of these shortcuts but like you know like you mentioned about like toasting the coconut she makes sure she focuses on the thing that makes it taste good so like (laughs) it's like shortcuts until you know the thing that actually matters so like the right spices the right whatever yeah Yeah, i'm a cardamom bitch too like i love cardamom cardamom. (laughs) yeah and it's actually pretty it's it's weird because it's very prevalent in like south asian (laughs) cooking but it's also pretty prevalent in like nordic cooking Ooh. Um, like Swedish, like Swedish love cardamom. They do cardamom bun- buns till like the cows come home. So, you know, love a cardamom bitch, fellow cardamom bitch. And I I really do want to make that cake, but then I, I have to find people to share the cake with because I don't want to eat a whole cake. Well, I'm right down the street from you, so you know. Okay. Whenever you make I mean, that cake, sure, it's going over. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, I will. I will drop off some cake next time I have the energy to bake. <laughs> yeah. But Han, what's popping with you? Okay. Uh, at first, I was going to talk about Disney Plus because that's my press tour day tomorrow. And I've been watching the screeners. And I will mention really quickly that one of those screeners is uh, Mighty Ducks Game Changers, which is a series. Um, but uh, I can go back to that. We can come back to Disney Plus in our time. However... I have started reading a new book series and it's romance novels, but it is contemporary. So I don't know how much you're into that, Jess. However, it is um, cl- uh, the author is Chloe Lies. I don't I think that's how you pronounce her name. And she writes um, inclusive um, a, a disability uh, fiction romance. And so like her first one that I'm reading right now is uh let's see a soccer player and then she's into a guy who used to be a soccer player but because of bacterial meningitis he has now problems hearing and some balance issues so he can't play anymore but it's like right now i'm about a third of the way through it's very fun and cute and like like i don't know just funny and uh i don't know how hot it is yet we'll we'll get to that <laughs> at some point so i'll report back later um the second book right now there's three books out she just um had a new book that came out this january i believe um the second book is about uh that guy's brother who is uh dating who's interested in someone who has autism so the uh author herself has autism so it's an own voices um book and then the last in the trilogy um it's interesting because it's actually a married couple that's related to these people, but the guy has anxiety disorder. So that's kind of um, sort of a hurdle in their marriage, which I think is very interesting to have a romance uh, novel with a married couple. And so I'm like, OK, uh, I, I'm very much willing to be convinced 
um, on that one because we usually are all always just ending it on the happy ending. So I'm, I think only a few things have I seen that do married couples well, where you're actually like really happy to see them together and it's still romantic. So um, I'm kind of excited to get to that one, but I'm reading it in order. So right now only on book one. Nice. <laughs> what's popping? Yes. Marvin, what's popping with you? All right. What's popping with me is um, somehow I sunk a couple hours this past weekend on an idle tapper game on my smartphone. Uh, for those of you who don't know, tapper games are basically games where um, you tap on the screen and watch the numbers go up. And sometimes there's you know special powers to help you get those said numbers up. The game I played is called Guitar Girl Relaxing Music Game um, by South Korean developer Neilwiz Games. And it's a charming story about Guitar Girl, um, who starts out playing guitar after being encouraged by her friends. And then basically as you um, level up um, by tapping, um, she goes from streaming from her bedroom to going to busk in front of a bakery. And the game has a pretty decently written story um, about an up-and-coming musician uh, making friends with her classmates and starting a band. And you know, to be honest, it really tugged at my collaboration heartstrings. Um, I myself have spent several years um, supporting up-and-coming Asian-American musicians, so um, definitely um, related to the story. And it's nice mm. because um, Tapper Games don't always have a good story, and this one is, yeah, like I mentioned, pretty decently written, but the gameplay loop is where it's at, and this game is really, really well-paced. You're always just minutes away from hitting the next level and getting the next set of upgrades, and and before I knew it, I had sunk several hours into this game already, so, I mean, it's all about gamification, right, and this definitely, uh, this definitely got me. It's fine. Did you have fun sinking those hours, Marvin? I did. But the realization that four hours has passed was also pretty distressing to me. <laughs> no, what's that what's that phrase like time well like time you enjoyed wasting was not wasted or something? <laughs> I'm a big believer in that. Yeah, you don't have to have something to show for it except for just being relaxed. It's gamification theory, right? It's just like if you give someone a goal that they can never reach but they keep going towards it. Yeah, I mean, that's forever. that's Facebook, <laughs> okay. and now our democracy is crumbling, so thumbs up. Oh, uh, but yeah, if you're if you're looking for a nice time waster game and with, you know, good tunes and a pretty decent story, uh, check it out. It's free to play. You know, you can watch ads to get like special bonuses here and there. But overall, yeah, that's what I did over the weekend. I'm happy for you. This is much less bleak than your usual fare, yeah. so I'm very happy for you. <laughs> And yeah, that's what's popping for this week. When we come back from the break, we take a look at the latest Asian American entertainment news and ask ourselves if we want this. Uh, stick around. Hey, I'm Bill Yu, and you may know me from a blog called Angry Asian Man. And I'm Jeff Yang, author, journalist, and celebrity dad. We host a podcast called They Call Us Bruce, an unfiltered conversation about what's happening in Asian America. Each week or so, we host a discussion about some of the most vital and interesting topics in our pop culture and our community, bringing in guests who are shaping and informing this thing called Asian America from Hollywood to D.C. and beyond. Uh, we've got media, entertainment, food, family, politics, representation, the good, the bad, the WTF of it all. So check us out wherever you get your podcasts or at theycallsbruce.com. Peace. Peace. And welcome back to Good Pop. Uh, it's the end of another month, so it's time for our monthly news roundup. 
Do we want this? Where we highlight some recent Asian American entertainment news and ask ourselves if we want this or not. Uh, as always, we'll highlight two stories each. So uh, I think I'll start it off this week. Switch it up a little bit. Uh, the Hollywood Reporter reported that Jay Chandrasekhar <laughs> has been tapped to direct a family comedy called Easter Sunday for Amblin. For those who don't know, Jay Chandrasekhar is best known for being a member of the comedy troupe Broken Lizard and has starred and directed in all of the Broken Lizard films, such as Super Troopers and Beer Fest. Plot details are still sparse, but uh, it looks like it's going to be a family comedy um, based on the life experiences and stand-up comedy of comedian Joe Coy, um, who is also set to star, and will be set around a family gathering to celebrate Easter Sunday. The film will be written by Ken Chang, who also wrote on Wilfred and House of Chow. Um, with both Joe Coy and Ken Chang executive producing, along with other notable names, um, including Jessica Gao and Jimmy O. Yang. The film's producers also include Dan Lin and Jonathan Eyrick of Right Back. So, uh, do we want this? Um, with these bare information that we have, uh, because plot details are being kept under wraps for now, I guess so, because of all the really good Asian names. But I, I want to know what the story is. So, and But the thing is, because of its Asians and Easter, I think it might be interesting to see that aspect of it. Um, but yeah, I, I really don't know yet. Like, I, I guess. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, maybe I'm showing my, uh, my, uh, my taste here, but. I love Broken Lizard and mm. one of my favorite films. I'm not even joking. One of my favorite films that I rewatch a lot is Beer Fest, which which is Broken Lizard. And I, I don't know if Jay uh, Chandra Sekar directed <laughs> that great. one, but, you know, he's I think he wrote it at least. Um, I like that dumb stuff. I don't know if that's going to be the same vein because I feel like Joe Coy, knowing Joe Coy, and he's been, I mean, his special is great, and, like, kind of the love he showed for, like, other Phil Am talent, and, like, you know, the whole segment where he's going back to the Philippines to do the show, like, I think he, I think that's gonna be important to him, and it is his story, and I assume it's gonna be about his family, he's, he, it is kind of, this project is really based around him, and then, you know, Ken is a really smart writer as well, so... I, 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 in my head, I'm like, oh, this is going to be an interesting mix because to me, those styles are not like a one for one match, but it could be something really fun. Yeah, I'm excited for this too. Jay Chandrasekhar, I think he did direct all the Broken Lizard films and he also co wrote them with his, you know, for people who don't know, Broken Lizard is this comedy troupe a la like National Lampoon, who in the early 2000s <laughs> came out with a ton of really popular movies that, like Jess, I've also watched multiple times, like Super Troopers was one of my favorite movies as a college student. We watched it like almost every night. And it's one of those movies where you just quote over and over. And I haven't watched it recently, so I don't know how much it's aged, but it's one of those movies <laughs> where like- turn it, you, turn that, you turn that dial down a little bit, but also, you know, as a woman, as a person of color, you do that. You have to do yeah. that to various degrees for everything <laughs> you watch. Yeah. And I mean, Jay Chandrasekhar has always stood out as like one of the few south asian players in the comedy space like he directed a ton of movies in the time when like people of color like at a time when you probably didn't have like the only other south asian director of re renown was probably what m night Shyamalan. m night 
And very, Oof. very different tonally. Yeah. Uh, I support Jay then. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, my and, and I mean, since then, he's also directed a ton of really good TV. He's directed several good episodes of like Arrested Development, of Community. Also, I found this out when checking out his Wikipedia. He's cousins with Sen Hill Ramath Murtry. Mm, how, how is that to be <laughs> his cousin? You got to You got to go the opposite direction. You have to be talented. And... <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's tough. You know, you know, those family get togethers <laughs> probably rough in the beginning. All right. I, I, I realized I haven't watched any of his films, so I I'm think I must have just missed that. It's definitely you have to be of a certain like age to have like yeah. appreciated <laughs> those the films. First I think I'm exposure, old. the first yeah. exposure. Um, I it's also just like if you like, you know, it's kind of like I see I see content and like stories like like I'm very much like food. Like there's a place and time for everything. Like you don't want to watch, you don't want to eat like four star Michelin meals every single day. Just like mm-hmm. you don't want to watch like prestige, like super <laughs> cerebral shit every day either. And sometimes you just want like a real good burger. Mm-hmm. And I feel like yeah. Beer Fest to me is a really good burger. But I mean, really excited. Good. You know, we, we have a lot of friends and I think they're starting to like send in the self tapes for this. So, you know, every like yeah. Phil nice. Am talent is like gunning to play, you know, a cousin, a I think- Tita baby. <laughs> I have to yeah. say... I'm not the biggest fan of Joel Hoy's comedy. Like I liked mm-hmm. his early stuff I really liked, but he's of the generation where a lot of his humor is like impression humor, right? He does impressions of aunties and of family. And while that doesn't translate to my sensibilities for stand-up, it definitely has a lot of potential for a film. I, I'm I'm very up for a really good dumb Asian comedy, because uh, we haven't had that since like Harold and Kumar. So hopefully yeah. This would and this is a family one too, right. which oh, is it's really gonna be fun. All it's over gonna the be place. great. Yeah, so. I'm so excited, and I, I can see the big wooden spoon and fork on the wall right now. It's gonna <laughs> be great. All right, Jess, what's our next story? All right, uh, in Bridgerton news, Bridgerton Hive, um, they announced. I mean, there were smatterings of the talking on the internet before the official announcement came out, but Simone Ashley is the female romantic lead in season two of Netflix's Bridgerton. So she will be playing Kate Sharma, which is a name change from the book, who was Kate Sheffield. She's going to be the love interest for Anthony. And uh, guessing on the pattern of how this show's been going, the main focus of season two will probably be on Anthony and his courtship. Um, I have read the books. This is a fun, like, we hate we hate each other first and then not. Um, and, and, like, I say this with all the respect. I am looking respectfully. <laughs> Simone Ashley. Yes. Just yes. Like, she is gorgeous. Uh, and she's, let's, I mean, let's talk about the elephant in the room. She is dark-skinned. She's a dark-skinned Asian woman. Like, more gorgeousness. Like, like, We'll never get to that level. I saw like pictures of her where she was like, like on a balcony, and her like legs don't end. <laughs> Again, respectfully, her legs don't end. She's just beautiful. I think she might have been a dancer. I would believe that if you told me that. Which she is exciting. Also, yeah. She was yeah. also in, I think, Sex Education, uh, which is a Netflix series. So if you want to check her out, uh, you can. You know, she wasn't a main character, but you know, you can check her out for a preview there. Um, but yeah, I'm very excited. Her, she is a half sister of the well, 
it's not too spoilery, but the half sister of the uh, person that Anthony thinks he's going to, you know, marry. So I'm very curious to see which half like goes there um, and what the casting's like there. But I also, she's like really, really hot. So I'm just like, I guess. <laughs> yes, yes, respectfully, she's yeah. very, very hot. Like, so very I'm just attractive. like, supposedly her sister's supposed to be more attractive so i'm just like yeah i, I don't know what, they gonna, gonna be? what they're gonna do like on that f- yeah because basically her sister her half sister younger half sister in the story is like this season's like diamond, diamond of the first water she's like the it girl so but then she has the sisters made a vow like she won't marry someone that her older sister does not approve of so that is simone's character and then of course you know how these things go. They spend time together. They fall in love. I'm excited. Let's get some sexy times going. So I still yeah. haven't watched any Bridgerton, but I'm assuming this is this season's Duke. I, I guess so. Yeah. So and here's the thing. I would love it if most of the, you know, the love interests were going to be people of color. However, if we know the books, we already know two people who are going to fall in love who are both white. Uh, so um, but which is fine because, you but know, the, I'm like, hoping like, you know. It's it's a it's a it's a major role. If if she if she nails it and is like you know she could be the new Duke, then you like it has the potential to be just a very charming role. Especially because Kate in the position she's in as a character is a little is able to be a little more like fuck you to society than Daphne was. Yeah, like Daphne was like very like a bunch of her story was that she has to act within these confines to like save her family like protect her prospects but like kate like has given up she's like i'm not gonna get married so like fuck all of you <laughs> to the extent that like a woman would so i was just like oh that that could be fun and yeah, then like I, I hope they give anthony a little more because he was kind of like a downer in season one but like jonathan bailey for all i've seen in his instagram seems like a very charming person like let's bring that in yeah he they made him such an asshole <laughs> that i didn't yeah. like him and yeah. so they're gonna have to do a lot to sort of rehab him and i think that's when they sort of dig into his traumas and you know issues he's so dumb in the first season and he's like i'm like he you can't no she's that singer which is a tv invention the opera singer like no she's not you can't dumb dumb boy no yeah but we want it we want simone ashley we want more color in the bridgerton series it's like the number one show in ever netflix wise so let's let's make it more diverse and let's try to handle that better also better sex scenes right better sex i mean uh, I'm, this is gonna be my hill to die on better sex scenes like more female gazy sex scenes please just yeah I mean, more 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 foreplay like in every sense of the word like it's it's not fun like it's not fun just watching like banging the, do, yeah. banging yeah like yeah. literal banging it's like it's about the tease and the and the seduction before and then yeah. there's even ways to shoot it where it is hot throughout the entire sex scene. Yeah, so. romance and sex are not mutually exclusive people. So, <laughs> and this is supposed to be for women. So, hello. Yeah. So, better sex scenes, please. You've been you've been put on notice, Netflix. Get it done. <laughs> All right, Han. What's our next story? All right. So, uh, because nothing um, South Korean can stay just in the country um we are having getting a remake of train to busan which how is that gonna happen because you know <laughs> we don't even have the same sort of rail system 
Um, what is going to be Busan here? I don't know. But we uh, we do know that the director is going to be Timo Chajanto. I'm probably mangling that. I'm sorry. But uh, an Indonesian director, which, you know, that sounds promising. And then uh, Gary Dauberman is adapting the screenplay. So I, I guess we just have to assume that all the Koreanness is gone from this, um, which mm, I'm not quite excited about. I don't know. Do we want this? I don't know if I do. <laughs> I don't so, think I do. I mean, here's the thing is it's a pretty typical Hollywood move to like take something that's popular in another country and try to adapt it for American audience. Like, we've seen this with countless times, um, especially with Asian stuff, right? With um, The Departed, with uh, I mean, Cowboy Bebop, with Ghost in the Shell, right? There are a couple fundamental things that like I have questions about, which is like, I think it was someone tweeted about this, but like, like how do you set Train to Busan in America when America doesn't even have high speed rail? Like, is it just going to be mm-hmm. like Amtrak to Busan, right? Like, uh, LA Gold Line to Busan, <laughs> but it never comes and you wait there for 30 minutes and then the zombies eat you. I mean, yeah, for movie. context, Train to Busan is about like, it's basically snakes on a plane, but instead of a plane, it's a high speed rail and instead of snakes, it's zombies. And it was a very good film. And I have to say, I watched the sequel, which was awful. And, <laughs> um, but I needed to watch it just to see. And, um, and what was great about it was, uh, you know how I have I don't watch that many zombie things, but you, um, but I do have strong feelings about how they humanize zombies, and that was one thing that I thought they did incredibly well was you got to really know the people before they became zombies, and then when they were turning, there was still like that kind of like realization they were going to turn. So it was kind of like this tragic story, um, that even like in that moment that they felt so like there was there was just so many things that were done well the very narrow confines the uh the like of course casting like these superstar south korean actors in the role the lead roles so i'm just like they they would need to like get that sort of star power i just don't think that that magic could happen i think translating it just not gonna feel the same i mean maybe they're not gonna try to make it feel the same that they're maybe they're like gonna do just a totally different version but i'm not they're probably gonna hollywood it uh i'm very anti remake perfectly great movies that don't need updating and like whitewashing them for american audience like i don't (laughs) you know excited about mark ruffalo parasite no and like i (sighs) mean i had strong feelings about the departed and and infernal affairs and that whole thing is like you could, I can even see the point of people justifying like that is like not even like B level talent. That's like Scorsese and Leonardo DiCaprio and Matt Damon. Like, there's no better cast to tell this cop story in Boston. But I'm also just like, no, don't need it. Why did yeah. you need to remake it? You couldn't watch Andy Lau shoot people. And Tony Leung. And Tony Tony Leung is like a, I, he's so good, and it's disgusting how much people don't know. Like how good he is. Well, at least we get him for one film as a Marvel bad guy this year. I mean, we'll see. I think it's also just like an uphill battle every time you're asking someone to act in a language they're not fluent in. And it's unfair to ask them and judge them at the same. Like if I took Leonardo DiCaprio and was like, make a movie in Cantonese, Leo. Learn it. Learn it and do it. And then you'd be like, oh, he's not a good actor. Like (laughs) it's not fair. And that's why it's just, 
I think unless you have a very pointed reason to update something, like because, you know, time or you're trying to say something different um, within the context of like where you're creating this project, but then it's never equitable, right? Like Hollywood can take from wherever and it's just never equitable whenever it's Hollywood taking from another industry yeah, versus I, the other way around. I feel like that's why... I, I would prefer it to be almost a genre shift. How you could shift zombies into another genre, I have no idea. I feel like doing a one-to-one sort of adaptation of this just can only be like pale. Um, I, I, I don't see what, unless he's bringing something different to it, which they don't really <laughs> mention. Um, unless it's specifically like, oh, there's problems because our infrastructure is terrible and you can't mm-hmm. get anywhere on a train and the z- outbreak happening because Americans can't get their shit together and that it's only happening like only like if it's only happening Are in America because be we can't get sh- on it's probably going to be a commentary response. like, yeah, well, I'm just trying to think of a way that would make sense. Like why we yeah. need this yeah. film. It's not like yeah. Train to Busan is an old movie. Yeah. I even get like modern adaptations, you know, like if this last movie was made. 50 years ago and things are different or like the gender politics are weird. Let's let's dissect that, mm-hmm. deconstruct and redo it. But like it, Train to Busan was like four years ago. Also, Gong Yu is like the most attractive man in the world, mm-hmm. the lead actor. Big Coffee Prince fan. And I <laughs> like who you like, there's no one more attractive than that man. Don't like kids, but love like <laughs> young, hot Dilfs, Asian Dilfs. Like big on the Asian Dilfs used to sit in a park and just watch Asian Dilfs in round Berkeley. Who are you going to get to replace him? Yeah. No one. No one can replace him. Yeah. I mean, what if it was Chris Pine? It's got to be a Chris, Even right? then. No, no, no. Even I, then. I, I have to say, in general, I do not want this. If they give more casting, I would still consider it and probably still say no. So, yeah. Yeah. I'm I not. feel like, and this is not to say I'm not... Kudos to getting an Asian director. That's cool, I guess. Get that bag, you know? Um, but yeah, I, I have a hard time unless unless it really is saying something different or like truly adapting it in like an American sense and saying something. I find it hard to get excited about this project. Yeah, I have no clue why it's being made. Like besides the usual yeah. money grubbing reason. <laughs> yeah. No good reason. Seems pretty say. transparent. <laughs> All right. What else do we got? All right. Our next story is a really cool one. Uh, Director Chloe Zhao has teamed up with Universal Pictures um, to write, direct, and produce a feature project based on the story of Dracula. Chloe Zhao, of course, is getting a lot of awards buzz right now for her film Nomadland. And according to the article, this version of Dracula will be a little different. Apparently, it's going to be an original futuristic sci-fi western with themes of living on society's fringes, which is a theme that she's used in all of her previous work as well. So, uh, do we want this? <laughs> oh my god, do we want this? I don't even understand how these words like relate to each other, and I am so hyped. Like, I understand these words separately, together, make zero sense to me, which is why I'm super excited about it. Yeah, I'm totally down. And this is exactly what we're talking about is like you take something and you make it totally different genre wise and it illuminates new things. I love anything that crosses sci fi with something else. So so sci fi Western totally down for that. Like they tried doing it with uh, a Joss Whedon, um, but with Firefly and that was all weird and racist. But, um, (laughs) you know, I mean, hey. This one, like, I, I'm so excited. Like, I wish it were out now. 
but um i i'm very excited just to hear all of the the little news that will be um dribbling out of this while she's you know developing also also i really think we need to like take back vampires from like the ya romance like tween saga i mean respect to the twilight fans out there and all the hundreds of thousands of spinoffs it created but like let's bring vampires back into like like an adult weird like complicated nuanced thing again like sexier too like let them let them fuck again (laughs) i wonder because so chloe zhao is known for her let's say more deliberately paced independent like artsy films right like although this is actually her second big studio movie right she's also been tapped to direct the eternals which is a huge mcu Mm -hmm. film responsible for giving us buff camille nanjiani right Um, oh thank you (laughs) thank you chloe and i'm really curious because again we haven't seen what she can do with a studio budget or studio film um, but her past work have, have all been super introspective. Like, I mean, Nomadland is all about people living outside of society's boundaries, right? Um, it features uh, Francis McDormand's character doing odd jobs and, you know, staying alive. So I'm kind of interested to see if um, she takes that approach to a Dracula movie. Like, imagine a Dracula who's all alone and survives by making Amazon deliveries. Yeah, he's not telling you to make that, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, I feel like the nice thing about all of that is that she really creates atmosphere and character very well. And so that's what I'm looking forward to when it comes to this Dracula, because I just want this is where I want to experience it in a theater. You know? Oh, yeah. I just want to sit and just soak it up. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see if she if there's any of that like Marvel aesthetic, you know, like big studio aesthetic coming in. But I think, again, part of my whole thing about taking vampires away from the mm-hmm. the tweens is vampires, I think, in the last 20 years has been either like superhero blade, like underworld action-y things or like tween drama Twilight property. Right. It's like those are the two main models. And like, but why can't I mean, it is pretty sad if you think about the life of a vampire. Right. Like you mm-hmm. you you live forever and you die. Some more like interview with a vampire vibes, which I think is like slower and more deliberate and more tragic. And I don't know if it's going to be horror. Cause I know universal is very big on the horror, you know, Dracula's their big horror franchise brand. Well, is this going to be part of their monsters universe? Right. Well, so here's the thing. <laughs> I think they kind of gave up on that because I think so. the, mummy <laughs> the mummy, the mummy was so bad, which is a shame because Invisible Man was, you know, pretty smart as far as like what they were, you know, talking about as far as like toxic masculinity and stuff like that. So like th- that one had a chance to have created their monster cinematic universe. And so this should have been part of that. But since M- Mummy was so bad, I think they are just <laughs> they're just separately yeah. revisiting their monster, you know, like archives and then doing it. <laughs> Can we just pretend that the actual um, Dark Universe version of The Mummy was the Brendan Fraser series. <sighs> it is I mean, in our hearts. It's just like how Indiana Jones number four never happened to me. Yeah. So, oh, what, what are you talking about? They never did that. <laughs> yeah, no. I'm, so, I'm sorry, but when Dora the Explorer gets shit right <laughs> and like you don't with your big budget money, Spielberg, like that's on you, right? Like that's on you. Like how, again, Dora the Explorer, 
speaking actual Quechua. <laughs> it's just wild still. It was a good movie. I would highly recommend Dora the Explorer as a movie. Very fun. Okay. I, I might watch that. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's really, it's actually very, very good. It's very funny and it's very smart with the way they adapted it. So this is my plug for Dora the Explorer. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, so <laughs> excited Speak- for Chloe's new endeavors. Excited for her studio films. Excited for her awards run. I think this can be a good year for her. Hopefully, I mean, yeah. there's still time for them to fuck it up, but <laughs> it's looking good now. Yeah. All right, Jess. What's our next story? Oh, okay. So it's recently announced that Paramount Pictures or Paramount Studio will be is has bought the rights to. The King and I, the 1951 Rodgers and Hammerstein musical, and they have plans. I assume they have plans to make that into a feature film, musical feature film. For those of you unfamiliar with The King and I, it is a story based off a memoir, a made-up memoir. She lied about a lot of the details. That actually could be the saving grace slash the interesting part of this reboot remake. But it is based off this book by this British woman who became the governess to the children of the King of Siam, now known as Thailand. Rogers and Hammerstein were golden age, like the biggest, you know, biggest musical composers of the golden age of Broadway in the 50s. For their time, like down people, they were trying and they were very like pro-Asian. They were very like Asians are people too. So I do want to acknowledge the context of which they're working. They were doing their best. But, you know, on the other side of 2021, um, very white saviory. She basically goes and teach civilizes the king of Siam. There's some very dubious gender politics. And traditionally, this role has been played, you know, in yellow face. Um, it's still one of the most popular plays in production on Broadway and everywhere else. I'm sure every regional like community theater has done like a very dubious production of it. Because there's no Asian people, so they just cast whoever and put them in yellow face. But it's just so funny because this article like does not mention any of that. They're just like heralding it as a like triumph of like representation. And like, guys, I don't know who's listening. We don't want this. That's not what we mean <laughs> when we talk about representation and more Asian stories. Yeah. I mean, I can see, I can picture the thought process of getting the rights to this because you're like, oh, we need Asian stories. What's a popular Asian story? Oh, Miss Saigon's getting oh, back press. King and I. Oh, King, King and, and I, I though. Right? That's uh, popping. Ah, uh, now, now that's Galaxy time for Brain. a remake. It's, like, it's it's just so like if you've seen any of the movie, the 1951 movie or like the 1950s movie, like Yul Brynner, who is Russian, you can argue that's <laughs> Asian, but he's right. No, right. I think in all things we would consider today, no. Um, it's in Yellowface. He became very well known for the role. He won an Oscar for that role. And like again, the press is not really touching upon the fact that this whole movie is in Yellowface. Didn't Charlie Fat play him too at some point? Yes, there was a non-musical adaptation, film adaptation of the book, which we can talk about too. And that was that was the it was with Baby Draco Malfoy, and it was called Anna and the King. That was a featured big studio movie, but so it's the same source material. Here's the interesting: she made that shit up. And this is where I hope they take it if they're smart and they could show you could you can get really deep. My sense is they won't because I don't know how you're going to shoehorn Roger and Hammerstein songs into like a very deep complication about colonization. Uh, Roger Hammerstein's like very happy songs. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so the real woman, Anna Leowens, was a was was part Indian. So she was like at least, I think, a quarter Indian, uh, but was white passing and denied having any Indian heritage. But she was, you know, British India colonization product of that. And then she like wrote this book way <laughs> later. So like, I don't know if any of the source material even, I don't yeah. even know if she actually was like working for the King of Siam. Like, I don't need another King and I. I want the Saving Mr. Banks version of the King and I, right? I, I want the story yeah. behind the story. Yeah. And then the King and I, you know, Siam, Thailand is notable because they were the only, this is my, what my Thai friend always tells me, the only Southeast Asian country or like Pacific Asian country that like wasn't officially colonized formally colonized obviously lots of influence still from other countries also but like never Axis powers in world war ii oh my god like <laughs> i don't want to get into that so it's like it's like we don't want this um i mean they're gonna do this stupid thing where they're like we need a star and then they're gonna be like really shitty about like not casting a thai person at the very least which is what you should do if you're gonna make a movie about the fucking king of siam on the plus <sighs> side, though, the King and I and Miss Saigon are like oh. basically <laughs> the two credits on every single Broadway actor of Asian descent, right? So, oh, nothing on them. Very talented. Um, I don't know how many people those tie though. Mm, that's true. That's true. A yeah. lot of Filipino Americans. A lot of uh, Korean. I mean, Daniel Day Kim played played the King in the Lincoln Center production a few years ago. That had a pretty famous run. Or well-known in, like, theater circles run. I mean, and that's just not appropriate where we are anymore, right? That's not appropriate. And this whole thing is not appropriate, so. It's not appropriate. This is not what we wanted. And the only potential, like, sliver of hope is that this production company that's co-producing it, Temple Hill, did do Happiest Season and did do Love, Simon. Mm. I mean, that was more based on sexuality and LGBTQ identity. I also have to say... Happy happiest season. That's the that's the the Christmas movie that we just got. Yeah, the one that, that where prob- Audrey Plaza does not end up. That was problematic Christmas. to me too. Even from a gay uh, representation sort of point of view, because the whole thing was like it felt like a '90s movie to me. You know, because it was about like being closeted. So that's where I was just like, this is not a Hallmark movie. Yeah. Um, I mean, to be fair, adapting to King and I seems like a 90s move. Yeah, it does yeah, seem like totally. a 90s move. Uh, yeah. You know what they should do? They should just make this about high school. They should set it in a Thai high school. And there's a foreign exchange student. Yes. Right? There just you do go. It. Honestly, the Thai, these teenage adaptations that mm-hmm. we got in like the 90s and early 2000s were always more fun, fresher, and unique than any of these reboots we've gotten. It Just make it a teen movie, you cowards. <laughs> yeah, and I think making it a teen movie with that artificial sort of like, I don't know, environment makes it okay to like test out things that are cringy because, you know, kids, teens are still trying to figure shit out. And, uh, and, and, and sometimes they're more honest. So, we, you you know, you can get people like calling shit out, too. I don't know. Just there's just I mean, so many ways. Yeah. yeah. It's very, you know, back. I guess my theme for these stories is like colonization. What are we going to do about it? It's like you cannot deal with this in a modern way without in a contemporary like perspective, which is what they say they want to do without really tackling colonization 
and these projects inherently lionize colonization. Yeah. So if if you it's if, tough. Yeah. If they wanted to do the like Anna and the King, but like really make it like realistic, then I could see that being a drama because first of all, it's set in Victorian era. So that could be like a really cool costume drama where there's a lot of bad stuff happening because you know this colonization uh, <laughs> that that they could dig into and really make into something interesting but okay here's uh, my pitch okay single white female <laughs> but victorian era and anna is like this crazy interloper out to like just destroy everyone see there's so many ways they can do it that's not rogers and hammerstein so <laughs> But yes, I mean, that's the that's the IP they bought. Right. And yeah. like, that's the thing, like, you're going to do that. But how are you going to fit yeah. something wonderful, you know, shoehorn that shit? In? Maybe you could. I think mm. someone or if they would let you. Right. They're not going to let you. They're going to protect the property. I mean, there's always the possibility that this will exceed our expectations. But I mean, know. if they wanted <laughs> to do Rogers and Hammerstein at this point, honestly, like flower drum song would have been mm-hmm. a better because at least that actually dealt with like Asian American, Asian intergenerational stuff. Like David Henry Huang already did a book rewrite to kind of modernize it and like iron out some of the problematic stuff. With lots of great Asian talent, like who can play like young, not contemporary, but like sixties. You know, like that. That's so much like more like easily translatable than like Anna and the King and. To be fair, it's not the worst. I think the worst is like South Pacific. That's like not salvageable at this point. Jess, why so. aren't you the one making all the decisions? I don't know, Marvin. Someone give me money. Honestly, if I were like a billionaire, maybe I should have invested in more GameStop stonks. But if I was a billionaire, I would just fund these like ridiculous projects. But they would like, do well. the king, but make it high school. I would watch that shit. Right? Ah. <sighs> But we can dream. Someone get me a sugar daddy. <laughs> All right, Han. What's our last story? All right. So as long as we're talking about revisiting old IPs, um, this is totally different. Uh, Gremlins Secrets of the Mogwai is a new animated series that's going to go to HBO Max. And uh, they added a lot of new voice cast among them. Um, is Ming-Na Wen, B.D. Wong, and, uh, you know, white guy Matthew Reese. But, okay, so here, here's the little premise, because I don't know if we've discussed this before. But the original um, Gremlins was always kind of had this, like, little Orientalist sort of flair, because that's how they got the Mogwai, was from some old Chinese guy uh-huh, um, uh-huh. in, in China. We all just carry one in our pocket. I mean, Mogwai yeah. is mm-hmm. the romanization of Mogwai, which is literally monster there you go right right and so oh shit see (laughs) sorry i just realized that (laughs) did you you just blow your mind i I definitely heard that before but what i like about this is they're really gonna dig into it because it's an animated series set in 1920s shanghai which first of all 20s in shanghai has to be like stylish and it's my favorite setting in chinese like cinema yeah. However, we're probably not going to get like the really cool like society stuff um, because, OK, so it's going to uh, that old guy, Chinese guy I was talking about. This is him as a child. And then so Ming-Na Wen and Bidi Wang are going to play the, vo- uh, the voices of his parents. But get this. So as the mom, she will be a doctor of Chinese medicine 
who is resourceful, slyly funny, and fiercely protective of her family. And the dad is a calm rock who has never believed in his father-in-law's tales of magic and adventure. So, but then also Sam Wing, who is the little kid, uh, he's voiced by Isaac Wong. Um, he uh, is going to have adventures across the countryside along with Gizmo and a best friend. And, the, and Matthew Reese gets to play the evil uh, English industrialist and treasure hunter. I mean, if you Yay! set this story in 1920 Shanghai, the bad guy had better be the white like colonialist yes. coming to take over the economy. Wow. <laughs> How is Gremlins, the animated series, more up to date with, <laughs> with this conversation? Well, it's, it's all so good. It's like, it's a period piece. It also talks about like colonialism. It's just like, everything's so good. Yeah, man, that, that, that's, I was kind of mind blowing and I'm just got really excited. I'm, I'm not like super deep in the gremlins universe. <laughs> um, so I did not realize I knew the voice talent. Isaac is great. Uh, he's in Raya as ah. well, which is coming out March 5th. And he's, very he's soon. very charming in this little, but very cute. And you know, I don't like kids. Um, so <laughs> always, yeah. yeah, I'm excited now. Yeah, I, I, I definitely want this. Um, I loved the gremlins growing up. I don't remember much of it, but I remember really loving it. I probably watched The Gremlins 2, the new batch, like countless times <laughs> um, as a child. Um, is this, does this explain like your dark, morbid, like content I don't know if consumption it patterns? It, but it definitely didn't help. It's like a correlation <laughs> as opposed well, I mean, to a causation. The Gremlins, like The Gremlins 1 was more of like a straight up like horror action. The Gremlins 2 was more of like a parody type of film it's like more comedy i just know you can't feed them and then there's that like worst acting ever done is like in gremlins 2 <laughs> like they're gonna they're eating him. yeah it's gremlins then 2 is gonna... pretty ridiculous gremlins 1 was probably the better movie gremlins yeah. 2 was definitely more fun for a kid yeah i i like gremlins 1 it was dark but it was still comedic uh clearly and um but i do remember it just being like this is a Christmas movie (laughs) that like it's it's like Die Hard is definitely clearly a better Christmas movie. But I think like one of the person, the one of the main teenagers parents died in the chimney trying to play Santa or something like wait, what? (laughs) In Gremlins? Yeah, but in Gremlins too, Gizmo becomes Rambo, puts on the the headband and starts bow and arrowing all the other evil Gremlins. So yeah, so original Gremlins, that was kind of the reason why I think, I think it was the girlfriend or whatever. Like, I think that's why she didn't like Christmas or was it the guy? I can't remember. It's all blurring together for me, but I just remember it being kind of a really fucked up Christmas movie. Again, you guys just said a bunch of words and none of it made (laughs) sense, but I'm very confused instead of excited now. Well, this one, I do You should watch the Gremlins for your next pop culture gap. Yeah. I don't I don't like horror movies. Is it like really scary? Like no, am I gonna be no. like it's more no. like E.T. scared me, to e- be clear. E.T. scared me. When did it scare you? Like I was seven, but you okay. know, we carry our childhood traumas. So. Can you watch E.T. now? <laughs> no, it's scary. I think he's weird looking. Okay. You might not like it because there's definitely a lot of creature stuff. Um, but also, you, I don't think you need to know it to watch this series. Got uh, it. Got it. Fair. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, it sounds really fun. Actually, there's a lot of like treasure hunting and traipsing around the. But there is also an army of evil gremlins. So just there always uh, is. That's what happens when you get Gizmo wet. Uh, feed him after midnight. You know, uh, what no, is feeding it? after midnight turns them evil. 
Yeah, the I have heard multi- that. Multiply. Yeah. Yeah. I have heard the thing where like, oh, isn't it technically always after midnight? So like, when does the clock reset? I've, I've, I've like yeah. seen that internet discourse. <laughs> yeah, um, that so never like, made I'm sense. Familiar. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I mean, it looks fun. like the team is great. You know, we already talked about the the acting talent. We have Ming Na Wen, B D Wong, James Hong. Matthew Reese, which I like Matthew Reese. I think he's, he's a great. pretty cool dude. Oh, yeah. Matthew Reese is great. No um, problems there. And the showrunner is um, C. Chung. Yeah, it, it is a it is an Asian-American showrunner. And yeah, it, it, this all sounds very fun. It is an animated series, to be clear. Um, I don't know if, in case you missed that. So we're not going to see. It would have been even better to see actual physical, like Ming-Na, B.D. Wong, Matthew Reese running around. <laughs> there was also Grimm's cartoon back in the day. Oh, I think there there definitely was. I didn't watch it though. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm excited about this because also I don't know what kind of animation. It might not just be cell animation. It might be like really cool. But um, I'm I'm fine with it. Like you know, like you say, it is animated. You don't get to see the actors. But the nice thing is that this very much is supporting the fact that you need Asian actors playing Asian characters, even if they're animated. So um, yes. and then having the Asian showrunner will help make sure <laughs> that things are not orientalist and just weird and i don't know just bad. yeah i mean it makes sense that because there's an asian showrunner we were saying like you can't make a story about this set in this time period or set in these time periods without confronting the effects of imperialism and colonialism on like of the west to the east right Oh yeah, sure, and 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 it's something that other people don't necessarily think about. Like this, these are always the reasons why to have as close as you can, you know, someone who is invested in these stories. Um, it, I mean, everything affects us. Like I was even talking about learning Vietnamese, and I was like, but it's an alphabet because of colonialism. <laughs> and then like no, everyone else, it was like blowing their minds. They're like, oh yeah, you you yeah. don't have to learn characters and stuff like that and i'm like so that's a good but also a bad so- i mean this will probably be a lot of people's you know um watchmen moment when they realize oh here's a historic thing that we never learned about yeah they don't they don't think about like the british being in east or southeast asia you know or other european yeah influences. they don't think about the war that british started to deal drugs in china for yeah. tea yeah for I think tea they- <laughs> I, I think they kind of like most people understand like the British were in India, but I don't think they realized how far, you know? Oh, no. Yeah. yeah. And Shanghai, I mean, my family's from Shanghai. My grandpa was working in Shanghai for these like rich white people. And that's why he had to flee uh, when when communism happened, because he's like, oh, there's no jobs and a little too cozy with the with, you know, the white British, French, American people. And so like, yeah, it's like I don't know. It's like that hits home. Part of my hit my family's history. Um, I remember when I took my parents to like Paris. When we went to Paris, they were walking around Paris and they're like, this feels like our childhood. I'm like, what? They're like, yeah, there's like a whole French quarter in it's the French Shanghai. Like China mm-hmm. literally had to concede a piece of Shanghai to the French for their people to live. Oh, in. shit. That's why they're called concessions. <laughs> Marvin. <laughs> I thought we were talking about food because usually when i'm when i'm in china i'm there to eat and i didn't i am a dum-dum i am a dum-dum i need this show to to teach me i do have to say my my mind does go to food first even if i know better it's like we're going to french concession for dinner and like in my hand like yeah dinner food food yeah concession cool yeah because the french concession now in shanghai is like a commercial district that's where you do your yeah it's very hipster it's very chic yeah 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 
it's it's yeah. pretty. It's pretty. It it looks like a Paris Boulevard. Um, but oh, I'm so excited. Yeah. Looking forward to this and uh, all the other projects that we talked about. Well, not all of them. Not looking forward to some of them. No, not all of them. <laughs> but uh, yeah, big month for Asian American entertainment news. And with that, that'll also do it for this edition of Do We Want This? Jess Han, if people want to follow your thoughts on social media, where can they go? I'm at Jess Jew Tweets on Twitter. And I am at Hanonymous. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Marvin Unit. You can find this show at Good Pop Club and find past episodes at goodpop.club. Uh, we're a proud member of the Potluck Podcast Collective. Check out our fellow Asian-hosted podcasts by going to the website podcastpotluck.com. And with that, uh, we'll be back next week to talk about the new NBC show, Young Rock. Uh, we'll see you next week. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye. Hi, I'm Marvin. And I'm Rira. We're the host of Books and Boba, a book club and podcast dedicated to books by Asian and Asian American authors. Every month we pick a book by an Asian author to read and discuss on the show. We read a wide variety of genres from contemporary to historical fiction, fantasy to memoirs, and crime thrillers to romance. Some of our past book club picks are Pachinko by Min Jin Lee, Sorcerer to the Crown by Zen Cho, and Devotion of Suspect X by Keigo Higashino. We also go over what's new in the Asian American literary world and chat with some talented Asian authors about their work. So whether you want to start reading for fun again or diversify your TBR list, we got your Asian literature cravings covered. For more info, check out our website at booksandboba.com. You can listen to us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and wherever you find your podcasts. Part of the Potluck Podcast Collective.